Good evening, guys, and welcome to our latest Bible study here at Calvary Chapel. Tonight we're going to be looking at John chapter 4, surprise, surprise, and tonight we're going to be in verses 31 to 42, Lord willing. So let's just begin with a word of prayer and then we'll get straight into the text. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you. After a busy day, Lord, after a long day, Lord, we can come into your word, we can come into your presence, Lord, and we can hear from you and we can learn from you. And we can have our lives transformed by the wonderful truths found in your word. Help us, Lord, tonight to see Jesus. Help me, Lord, tonight to say nothing that um, shouldn't be said and, and to say everything, Lord, that you want me to say. Because, Lord, I want to preach your word faithfully. Help me, Lord, to be your mouthpiece tonight and help us all to learn and to listen to what your word has to say to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, John chapter 4, verses 31 to 42 in the NLT says as follows. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe or white for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants, and of the harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message. And believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Saviour of the world. What amazing words. And over the past few weeks now, we've been looking through John chapter 4, haven't we? We've seen Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman. We've seen how Christ came to meet the Samaritan woman at the well of Jacob. We've seen how that interaction started to unfold, how Jesus as the master physician both diagnosed her need of salvation and also showed her the way of salvation, which is faith in him. We saw how repentance was critical to understanding why you need to be saved and that process of realizing I need a savior, Jesus Christ. And then we also saw last week the great truth of the Lord showing the Samaritan woman that he was the Messiah, using those famous words, I am who I say I am, I am, from Exodus three fourteen to 15, which shows us that Jesus is not only man, but he is God. He is fully man and fully God. And he identifies himself with Elohim and Jehovah, both names for the Lord in the Old Testament. You see, you can't make... Um, false accusations about who Jesus is because Jesus is so clear. He's crystal clear. He is God incarnate. 
So having had that sort of background, that sort of context, remembering that actually verse 31 is preceded by verse 30, let's just read the final few verses from last week so we get a bit of context. Verses 27 to 30 of John chapter 4. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask him, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Notice what the Samaritan woman is saying in these verses. She's telling people not just about what she knows, but who she has met and the evidence behind her claims. And indeed, she's taking her testimony and her story to the people of Sychar. You see, these people had witnessed that this woman make many mistakes. She'd had so many mistakes, uh, she couldn't even list them. You know, she'd been married five times and she was cohabiting with a sixth man at the moment. She had a complex personal life. And a random stranger came and told her everything she ever did. He was sensitive in the way he did that. But he revealed enough to show her that he was indeed the Messiah. He was indeed somebody who was worth listening to and hearing out. You see, when we evangelise, we want to share our testimony of how Jesus has changed our life, as well as the truth about who he is and what he's come to accomplish. You see, a testimony must be consistent with the glorious truths we find in God's word, for it to be powerful and for it to be effective. Because, because God wants to use your testimony for his glory. Yet an inconsistent testimony doesn't bring God glory. It doesn't bring God to the forefront of the conversation. It just brings accusations of hypocrisy and double-mindedness. Double you see, we want to be consistent in our testimony with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be consistent in our homes, in our workplaces. When we're on our own, we want to be consistent with the word of God and what Jesus has called us to do. And we all fail at that. We all need to go back to 1 John 1, 9 and confess our sins and get back in fellowship with the Lord. Remembering that as we uh, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to restore us to fellowship and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, this Samaritan woman had turned to Jesus in faith. She'd experienced the living water of the Holy Spirit in her life. And we see in verse 30, the outcome of her testimony. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. You see, she said Christ was all they needed and they streamed to hear the news of Christ. This is contrasted, of course, with the, with the, the words of the disciples, which throughout chapter four is not the greatest testimony of uh, spiritual intelligence for the disciples. They're always getting stuck in the physical and never understanding the spiritual. Meanwhile, verse 31 says, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. You see, while this Samaritan woman was evangelizing her heart out, so to speak, while she was winning people for the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
the disciples continued to be in the physical. They just didn't get it. The disciples urged Christ to eat because they'd seen him hungry. They'd seen him weary at the well of Jacob. He was, after all, a man as well as fully God. But Christ, in sharing his word of life with this Samaritan woman, had been revived. He'd been revived, he'd been refreshed. And indeed, almost certainly, he was greatly anticipating what was going to happen shortly, which was astounding. And this has happened uh, to me multiple times in my walk with the Lord. I'm sure it's happened to Dave, uh, to Tom and Juan and countless other people. You come to church, you, you get called to go and evangelise, you have an opportunity with a friend to share Jesus and you're exhausted. <laughs> you, you've been at work for 12 hours, you've had a difficult day, you didn't sleep at night and essentially the last thing in the world you want to do is to get into a lengthy conversation about how the Lord has saved you and then get into some sort of confrontation with somebody who doesn't want to listen. <laughs> We're almost too tired all the time these days in 21st century living to even contemplate uh, making time for somebody else, for making time for a difficult conversation or a lengthy conversation or a conversation which the Holy Spirit may take in certain directions which you hadn't anticipated. But in yielding to the Holy Spirit, in having those conversations, in going, Lord, I am here to be used of you, you're going to be revived. You see, Christ has a heart for sinners. He wants them to come to him. He is drawing them to himself. He was eagerly awaiting the arrival of the Samaritans from the village. And this is why it says in verse 32, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. And then in verse 34, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God, who sent me and from finishing his work. You see, it was Christ's job, it was Christ's will to do the Father's will. It was Christ's heart to fulfil what the Father wanted him to do, which of course was for people to come to know Jesus as saviour and king. And as we've covered countless times, there's no selectivity in this call. 1 Timothy 2, 3 to 4. This is good and pleases God our saviour, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. It's interesting, isn't it? Just coming to mind right now, 16 months ago, just before lockdown started, we were preaching through 1 Timothy 2. In fact, I was doing it. And, you know, we started lockdown with the gospel truth that everyone needs to come to Jesus. And we finish lockdown with the gospel truth that everyone needs to come to Jesus. There is no selectivity in God's love. He wants all, he wills all to come to him. You see, if there's one thing we've learned over the past 16 months, it's this. Throughout all the difficulties in life, throughout all the challenges, we have a saviour who loves us. And we have a saviour who loves our friends and our neighbours. Even if they don't know him yet, you being faithful to be obedient to the call, to witness to them, could, be, could make all the difference. And the Lord could use you to bring that person to Jesus. Irrespective of circumstances, irrespective of lockdowns, irrespective of global pandemics, what's more important is that Jesus loves every single one of you. 
and he wants you to come to him. And, you know, when, when we're revived by the Lord and we're doing his will, when this refreshment comes, we can see this. When we witness to people, we can see this in our own attitudes. We get revived. We get given energy from the Lord to do his will. You see, you could be having a terrible day. But when the Lord shows up, when the Lord empowers you by the Holy Spirit to do this work, nothing can stop you. Nothing can stop you. When you put your worldly concerns aside and obey the master's voice, there is fullness of joy and the Lord gives you the energy that you need to get what he wants done, done. It isn't you doing it after all. You're just the vessel that the Lord uses to reach these people. You see, Christ told his disciples in Matthew 4, 4, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Christ's food at that moment was not physical food. It was the Father's will. It was showing people the gift of God, which of course is salvation through Jesus Christ, through his work on the cross. But notice how the disciples respond. <laughs> they keep doing this, don't they? Did someone bring him food while we were gone? <laughs> the disciples asked each other. They just couldn't understand why Jesus was full, was renewed before eating any of the food they'd slaved over for hours to bring. It's like, you know, bringing a, a three-course meal to somebody that you spent hours preparing, only for them to say, oh yeah, I went to McDonald's and I filled myself <laughs> with a Big Mac. You know, it's just, it's, oh my word, what's going on here? Aren't you glad that even though the disciples were slow learners, the Lord showed them mercy? And indeed, you know, we are slow learners, aren't we? We take ages to learn simple spiritual truths. But the mercy of Christ is that he doesn't rebuke them. But he continues to show them what he's trying to achieve with the Samaritans. And of course, slow learners need patient teachers. And thankfully, Christ is extremely and mercifully patient with us uh, and thank the Lord for that because we need <laughs> we need his mercy every day uh, verses 35 to 38 you know the saying four months between planting and harvest but I say wake up and look around the fields are already ripe or in the original white for harvest the harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. Notice that phrase. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvest. Harvest, And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work and now you will get to gather the harvest. I want you to imagine a scene for a second. Imagine you're um, in Sychar, you're between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. We've been imagining this quite a bit over the last few weeks, and I apologise, but it's good to imagine you're in the scene. And actually, you know, in modern day um, Israel, it's the town of Nablus in the West Bank. It's a plain of land. And as you're looking out, and as the Samaritan woman gives the testimony, the disciples and Jesus are on their own by this, by this well. But when the Samaritan woman gives her testimony, the village of Sychar tail, you know, turns around 
and they and they come straight to Jesus. Now, imagine you're looking in the distance. Imagine you're in this valley. You can see the heat of the day. The sun's shining, and you know the atmosphere is shimmering, as we've actually seen over the past week with how hot it's been. The atmosphere has indeed been shimmering at times when we're looking into the distance, and suddenly. You see something, you see this crowd coming towards you. And what's really interesting is in verse 35, the New Living Translation uses the word ripe. But actually, in the Greek, it's the word leukos, which if you know medicine or biomedical sciences, means white. It's the same sort of root word that you get leukemia from, which of course is a blood cancer, which means white blood. So Jesus literally says, or the word of God literally says, that all these people are white for harvest. And imagine the scene. We're told that the Samaritans are wearing white. The significance of which is not entirely clear, but we can speculate. But basically, all these white dots are appearing before the disciples and before Jesus' eyes. And they're coming closer, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And as they approach, it becomes almost like blinding in the, in the sunlight. Because the sun is shining and everybody's wearing white. It's a, quite a spectacle. One thing was clear though, this harvest of, of people wearing white clothes was indeed ripe for harvest. It was ready for harvest because they were hungry. They wanted to know who was this Jesus? What is Jesus saying here? Well, we're gonna explore that now, but I think you could summarize it as as follows. Don't dither, do not delay witnessing to others. Serve your time now on this earth for God's glory because God's salvation has already arrived. Christ came 2,000 years ago. He rose again 2,000 years ago. The time is short. We don't know when he's going to come back. We can see the signs around us of things getting worse and Bible prophecy being fulfilled. Today is the day of salvation. So why does Christ use this phrase, you know, white for harvest? Or um, why do we get this sort of picture painted to us by John? Well, firstly, the Greek uh, for the proverb he uses, still four months and then comes the harvest, is very rhythmic, actually, in the Greek, according to Bruce, and is actually suggestive of some sort of regional proverb that was used in Samaria. And isn't it interesting that the master evangelist, Jesus Christ, uses the local lingo, the local language, to communicate spiritual truths. You see, sometimes we can get het up, can't we? We're not quite using the right language. We're not quite, you know, technical enough in the way we describe stuff. But Jesus uses the language of the people to give universal truth in a way that is understood. And that's so critically important. You see, there's already a spiritual roadblock, isn't there, to people's understanding of the gospel. And it's that spiritual blindness we talked about a few weeks ago. Why make it more difficult by using complex language or very, very difficult language? And indeed, this is why as a church we use the New Living Translation. It's easy to understand. We don't have to break out the dictionary when we read the scriptures to understand what we're reading. It's good to read simple English and, you know, uh, that's why we use that translation. We don't want to produce any more spiritual roadblocks uh, to people understanding the truth of the word. And that's what Jesus did. He talked to the people in simple, understandable 
phrases and dialects so they understood what he was saying. Secondly, notice how Christ describes the work of evangelism as harvesting. He's using this agricultural description and obviously people coming to faith are the fruit of that harvesting process. See, some people uh, sow seeds, don't they? They're the ones that sow the seeds. They make the first steps. They prepare the fallow ground. Um, they tear up the weeds from the soil and they lay the seed. You see, all these sort of descriptions are vitally important, isn't it? Because as we prayerfully engage in sowing seeds, in sowing seeds of spiritual truth, in ripping out those weeds of deception, obviously through the power of the Holy Spirit and of falsehood in lives, as we give the opportunity for those, sowed, those seeds to embed, we, we pray that the Lord would grow up and indeed would spring forth new plants. And of course, any time you see a new plant, we know in the sort of parables that that signifies new birth. And then John the Baptist had indeed been doing this. He'd been sowing seeds in preparation for Christ's coming. And of course, the Samaritan woman herself had sowed seeds and now she was seeing the harvest. So some sow seeds, others, of course, uh, reap or gather in or harvest, depending on what translation you, you use. And of course, those are the people that finally get the, the pleasure and the honour to lead people to faith in Christ. They see the fruits of those who have been um, been sowing. But of course, their entire work depends on the faithfulness of the sowers. You see, you might get discouraged, folks, that you give out some gospel leaflets and you never get a response. You don't know what seed was sown, though, when you gave out that gospel leaflet. Be faithful in sowing seeds and pray that when somebody else comes along, they'll be able to have the joy of harvesting of seeing the Lord harvest somebody to himself. And of course, when we don't, um, when we don't see the fruits of our evangelism, uh, sometimes we can get discouraged. And indeed, when you see the fruits of evangelism, sometimes you can get proud. It's important to remember that everything that happens is because of Christ and what he has done. And that ultimately, both reaping and sowing are the work of evangelism. There isn't one thing that's evangelistic or one type of thing that, that is evangelistic. Both are critically important and they can be worked out in the believer's life, you know, in the home, in the workplace or on the street. And this pattern of sowing and reaping continues, of course, after Christ's resurrection. Indeed, it happens uh, where in 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul says in verses 6 to 8, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. That's the key, isn't it? It's God who makes the seed grow, not you. But you're just privileged to see it grow and indeed to be praying for the growth of that seed. It is not important who does the planting or indeed who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together for the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their hard work. And of course, that reward will come at the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ, as we see again a bit, early, a bit later in 1 Corinthians 3. And finally, remember that in order for this to happen, believers must be obedient. You can't, you can't be reaping and sowing if you don't want to do what the Lord wants you to do. You see, Luke 10, 1-2 says, The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs. To all the towns and places he planned to visit, these were his instructions. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord, who is in charge of the harvest, 
and ask him to send more workers into his fields. We haven't got many workers right now who are doing the work of the Lord in this country. We haven't got many people who are going out there and giving the gospel to people, wherever it may be. You're called to be a worker in the field of harvesting souls for the Lord. It's time for you to prayerfully step into that role, wherever it may be, and to ask the Lord to empower you. You see, there would have been no early church if Christ had not empowered the people, and indeed the people had not obeyed his instructions. There would have been no um, there would have been no fruit of, of the early church. We wouldn't have had church today even if there hadn't been that initial obedience to do what Christ had done. And indeed, people would not have come to know the power of the resurrection if the disciples had not preached and witnessed to the power of the resurrection. Are we obeying Christ in our life tonight? And that is the question we must all ask and must all honestly answer before the Lord. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. He told me everything I ever did. Notice it was because of the woman's testimony that many Samaritans came to Jesus. It was the immediate outflow of her salvation. It had a major impact. Indeed, the harvest was white for harvest. And she got to be immensely privileged in seeing that happen, in seeing the fountains or the springs of living water coming out of her uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Christ's mission was indeed to save sinners and he was surrounded by them in Samaria, but he was merciful to them. And indeed, they all had messed up, but they all knew who to come to for forgiveness. You see, the Samaritans, according to the law, were those who needed mercy, but Christ has abundant and plentiful mercy for us tonight. And verses 40 to 42, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the saviour of the world. Not only because of what you said, but we have tasted and seen the Lord ourselves. You see, Jesus going through Samaria was surprising, wasn't it? It was massively surprising a few weeks ago when we started to look into this chapter. But staying there for two days, that was like mind-blowing in comparison. Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, stayed for two days in this wild westland of Samaria. But of course, he was sowing seeds himself. He was sowing seeds that would ultimately be harvested by the early church in Acts 8, 4 to 8. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people about the Messiah. Listening, the Messiah they'd already heard of from Jesus himself. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralysed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. You see, these born-again Jewish believers of the early church, like Jesus, had to go via Samaria. 
the early church was persecuted by the non-believing Jews, and they had to flee Jerusalem, leaving some of the apostles behind. And like Jesus, they had to go through Samaria. It wasn't their choice this time. They were driven that way through by the Lord. And instead of being fearful, instead of going, why me? Why do I have to do this? They said, okay, Lord, you're sending us this way. We're going to be faithful to you. And we're going to preach the word. Because when we preach the word, when we sow those seeds, we're going to see a harvest. And of course, they did see a harvest. Many people came to Christ because they saw themselves. They heard themselves, the word of Jesus. And those seeds were sown and indeed uh, were planted and harvested at that point and also later. When the early church was driven through Samaria, and indeed confirmatory signs and wonders were seen through the early church's ministry. And even those who didn't believe in Jesus at the time may have come to Jesus later. And isn't that amazing? They heard and saw the Lord himself. They heard and saw the Lord in his earthly ministry and after his resurrection in the power of the Spirit through the work of the early church. His word went out and indeed it was fruitful. You see, that is why we preach the word of God, isn't it? The Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the word of God, is trying to show us Jesus. That's the whole point behind preaching. If preaching doesn't glorify Jesus, we may as well stop right now. Because that is the entire point of preaching. So that people may come to see Jesus for themselves, to taste Jesus for themselves. So they may have a personal interaction with Jesus himself, through his word and the power of the Holy Spirit. The question tonight, though, folks, is are we preaching this gospel to people around us? Are we seeing circumstances with spiritual eyes, spiritual eyes that the Holy Spirit has given to us, rather than the physical eyes, the fleshly eyes, that the disciples have got stuck in, in this chapter? You see, Jesus came to satisfy our eternal needs, those needs that are only found in him. Are we prepared to take risks like the Samaritan woman to share with our neighbour? And indeed, are we praying for those who don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ? And are we involved in that, both sowing and reaping uh, for the Lord's glory? You see, we want to hear him ourselves, don't we? We don't want to hear about the past experiences the church had. We don't want to hear about our past experiences. We want fresh experiences with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to hear him ourselves as we go about our daily lives. We want to hear his wisdom, hear his direction, and hear his calling upon our lives. Because we want to be walking in step with his will for us. We don't want to be behind the will of God. We don't want to be walking ahead. We want to be walking side by side with the Lord leading us step by step. You see, the time is short. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we know as his bride that we're called to faithfully serve him. And I pray tonight as we finish off that you'll be challenged by this and that indeed you would see the need to not only show people Christ, but to be refreshed in your understanding and indeed your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you need to hear from him throughout your entire life, not just when you're saved. Because when you hear from him for your entire life, 
you're walking in step with him and you're walking in obedience to his call for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is indeed a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. And Lord, we just pray as we reflect on these things, as we think about doing your will, which is, of course, our food as Christians, that Lord, you would fill us up with your food. You'd fill us up with that hunger to obey you so that we may indeed know the Lord Jesus afresh and know his peace and his security and his indeed closeness, his heart of mercy for sinners, his heart of mercy for us, Lord, who mess up every day, who are too tired to engage in the spiritual warfare that we're, we're, we're facing. Help us, Lord, today to live in boldness for you and in the humility that you call us to live. May that be the fruit of your spirit working through us. May we abide in your presence tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a great night and take care.